Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Hi everyone! If you're new, then welcome. If you're not new, then welcome back. So, yes, welcome, one and all. <laughs> right. And real quick, before we dive into it, I just wanted to get this out there and say that we did have a uh, um, a short. No, it wasn't a short, but we had a long, <laughs> long break. I, did, I guess we had a dead week. Is what I'm trying to say. And that's because we went on vacation and we had every intention of recording one this week because we brought the portable recorder and everything. But we had so much fun. <laughs> we had so much fun and, and um, relaxed. The beer got in the way. Yeah, uh, so. It typically doesn't, but it did. But we're back, so that's all that matters now. So. Here we are, and tonight we're going to be talking about land pirates. Ahoy! <laughs> oh, actually, no, not that. Yeah, kind, I wonder if there's... land pirates say that. And do they wear eye patches? Yeah, I don't. And you know, they didn't even call themselves that. I'm sure this was after the fact. People. Yeah, to... so I know my dude's moniker was given to him by someone else. Like he wasn't a self-proclaimed pirate but obviously um, more to come on that right so tonight i am drinking my drink du jour is called all jacked up and that is because um my tail starts in tennessee and and ends up there too it uh, don't spend um all, the whole time in Tennessee, but at least it starts there. So um, this is this. So it's all jacked up is the name of the drink because it's made with Jack Daniels um, whiskey, Tennessee whiskey, and Jack Daniels Tennessee honey. And I didn't know because I'm I'm not a Jack Daniels fan, but I did not know that it is a whiskey and not a bourbon. It's because of the way it's. Um, I don't even. <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend to remember. And, um, yeah. that, I, that I that I remember what I read, but um, it's it's about the way it's classified as a whiskey and not a bourbon because of the way it's actually processed and the way it drips. But anyway, that's and um, but also I did know this that the county it's a dry county, which <laughs> is crazy, and they get away with selling whiskey because it's in a decorative bottle. So, so speaking of decorative, can I just comment and say how the way you it's garnished, <laughs> it's it it it's like it looks pretty. 
I wish everyone could see this. I really do. I'll take a picture and put it on, yeah, on the socials. Gotta but... post a picture because it just looks pretty. I thank you. That's um. I just kind of went with it. I that just I wasn't even sure. I was so aggravated with my garnishes, but I made it work. And um, I have to say it's very fruity because I put a lot of pineapple juice, more than it calls for. Because, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm not a big Jack Daniels fan, but I'm not a whiskey or bourbon drinker either yeah so but it has a lot of fruit in it and it has almond it has um i'll put the recipe up too it's actually really good i think it's a um um is it hard rock cafe at someone um one of the restaurants actually has it on their menu but it has um cherry orange lime juice almond and um pineapple juice yeah well and the whiskeys Jack Daniels. Anyway, yeah. it's really good. And I'll post a picture. So. I don't have a drink du jour. I mean, I do, but it's not <laughs> um, relevant. It's, not it's really. just vodka and seltzer. Sad. Not, not related. Yes. I tried to find a, I tried to find a, because well, I was trying to be, I guess I was lazy, but I was trying to find a um, craft beer that might be crafted in Tennessee, but good luck trying to find that in Louisiana because they're so many craft beers in Louisiana, which I'm excited yeah. to, to get to drink some of those. So, which is probably why we're kind of Louisiana heavy on our topics. <laughs> I want to try that beer. To, hey, to pair it with the we're not episode. in New Orleans, right? Right, we're not. Actually, we we're, we're gonna touch there a little bit, but um, anyway. Oh. So tonight, Just right, right. Um, tonight, my tale is about the Great Western Land Pirate. John Andrews Merrill was born in 1804 in Tennessee, or Virginia, because I've seen it in um, different accounts. And the other account was that he was born in Virginia, and his um, father moved them to Middle Tennessee. So he was the third of eight children, and his parents were Jeffrey and Zilda Merrill. His father, Jeffrey, was a Methodist preacher. He was rarely home, and when he was away... His mother would turn their house into a brothel, and she and she taught them how to steal. All the kids, you know, there were eight of them, so she taught them how to steal, and um, she taught them how to steal before they could even walk. So yeah, so how about that? How about a Methodist preacher for her father, and a brothel slash thief teacher, <laughs> teacher of thievery. For a Talk mother. about when the cat's away. Right. Right. That's just, wow. Or yeah. when the cat left at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So, um, so she, she taught all of her kids how to steal. And so John Merrill would steal anything he could from the neighbors, from whomever. But he would mostly steal horses. When he got older. She sounds like she deserves a trophy. <laughs> right. Right. Trophy mom of the year. Uh, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was a good one. So the Tennessee law enforcement was familiar with him and his brothers. At the age of 16, he was charged along with his brothers for causing a riot and for using threatening words and gestures. <laughs> like, I don't know. Did they have like the middle finger? As a gesture back then, <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of what I picture. I picture him, like, double-barreled middle fingers, cussing. 
you know, causing a ruckus. Right. That's, that's kind of what I, <laughs> what I imagine. So gestures. That's pretty vague. Very. This little story is kind of vague because a lot of it's legend and um, some historians or authors, they kind of chalk it up to legends, a lot of this. But anyway, so he appealed his case and then he was, his sentence was reduced to just paying a fine and walking free. This is for the writing. So he was certainly a hellraiser from an early age. I mean, gee, I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> when your mother's running a problem. I can't. Out yeah, of the I house. Mean, he had a really great leader. Right. Out of the house when your dad is away. So you know it's like secret. It's like, okay, don't tell your father. So, <laughs> Meanwhile, the dad's probably like, what the hell's wrong with this kid? Right. Like, where's he getting this from? Right. But he was off preaching or whatever he was doing. But, can, I mean, who knows? But uh, We don't have the dad's side of the story either. So we don't know. But um, he got caught stealing a black mare of a Williamson County resident, and he was incarcerated. And while he was in jail, he received 30 lashes publicly, and he was branded on his thumb with the initials HT. Do you have any, Do you know what that is? Horse thief. Yes. Did you Did you know that? Very good. That's awesome. No that I, that was a total guess. You did? at first. I thought, okay, who is, who is HT? And then I was like, no, it's horse thief. Yeah, they're very good. It's like a big deal to be a horse thief. And it, right, and they're, it was then. Like, they were serious about their their theft crimes back then. I mean, he probably got 30 lashes. And then he spent a year in prison for stealing orders. I feel like, can I just stay in jail a little longer instead of <laughs> being publicly lashed? <laughs> right. So then his mom, while he was in prison, she moved the family to a village just north of Memphis, Tennessee. And then um, when he was released from prison, he married a woman named Elizabeth Mangham, and they had two children. So moving the, the family to Memphis puts them right on the Mississippi River. Because what he did next, he wreaked havoc on the Natchez Trace. And um, this it see and he claimed that what well, he got he was known as the Natchez Trace Bandit, and so for those who are not familiar with the Natchez Trace, this is well now it's a parkway, but it's go it it goes from Natchez, Mississippi to Nashville, Tennessee. It's about four hundred miles long. So and then he amassed a band of thieves. So he had. Like Robin Hood and his merry men, he was, he had um, John Merle and the Mystic Clan. That was his the what Mystic Clan. Okay, that was the name of his bandits, his following. And at their height, there were as many as twenty five hundred members of the Mystic Clan. Wow. So, let me just paint the picture here. Then at that time, which we're talking about the 1800s, this is pre-Civil War, they would, people up north would grow their crops all year and or they would have their wares and they would either float their wares and, and such down the Ohio and Mississippi River or bring them down the Natchez Trace um, in their wagons and horses and such. And so they would come all the way down to New Orleans 
And then our Vicksburg, Natchez, you know, the ports along the, the river. Down the river. And they would sell their wares. So then they would have their money on them. And then they would make the trike back to their home. And so Merle and his gang would hide out. And they would ambush them and steal their money. I figured that's where this was going. Right. So that's why they were uh, dubbed the Land Pirates. Um, because that's exactly what they did. They looted everyone on the on the land. Well, in this area, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I said that they ambushed them. They did, but they even if they found it necessary, they would even kill their victims. Um, although, later on, um, Mural... Well, what necessitates needing to kill them? I guess if they resist. Right. Or they try to fight they're like no you gotta die right if your pocket change yes if the use of force was such that they needed to kill them to take their money instead of them handing it over or or them overtaking them easily yeah right i found it kind of odd that's what they said if it was necessary like it was just something that had to be done but yeah it is necessary for me to murder you right right so, it's estimated that they killed about, him and his mystic clan killed about 400 people, which, Damn. that's a lot of people. I mean, that's 2,500 people in the clan, um, his mystic clan, that is, and then about 400 people. I mean, that's doing a lot of, that's. Killing. Yeah, right. And that's just an estimate of what who they killed. Can you imagine all the people that they just robbed? So, they were amassing a, a fortune. So, um, they they were so well known, and Mural at the time, I don't think he is now, but at the time he was known all over. He was known all over the U.S. Mark Twain even stated that Jesse James and his gang was nothing compared to John Mural and his mystic. And what did you say the time frame was? Like what? Eighteen thirty ish. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, to the to eighteen. He, okay. uh, yeah, eighteen. Okay, eighteen thirties. He ends up dying in eighteen forty four. So, and uh, Mark Twain even referenced John A. Mural and his and his gang in the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. It's a little line, it's like one line. Um, I don't remember exactly what it says, but something to the effect that John Mural and his gang lived in these parts, this area. Okay, but what they were really known for, and what he was, well, he, like the oh, how horrible his crimes were, is um, they were really known for slave stealing. So yeah. what what he would do is he would go to a plantation, and he would um, he would trick the the slaves. Into thinking that he would tell them, like, I'm going to come back at night, come back, you know, in the evening and night, and um, you, and then if you know a couple other, you couldn't take very many at the, at one time, but because he was on horseback, but he said, and you can go get a couple other of your, I mean, friends, I don't know what, uh, the fellow slaves, I guess you could say, and family, maybe. right, and I will take you up north. And you can be free. So of course they would they would fall for it and believe it, and they would go with him. So what he would do was he would take them 
about a hundred miles or so enough, um, enough, far enough away to get away from where um, anybody knew what was going on or knew of of them. And he would sell them to another plantation. And he would even come. That's disgusting. Right. And he would even come back and steal them, same ones, and sell them to another. Like, he just did this over and over and over. And he was making as much as $4,000. He was double, triple, double and tripling down on exploitation of slaves. What a piece of. Oh, yeah. Complete. Yeah, Yeah, it's total POS. So, this, I think this, I think that was around, so about $4,000, I think that was $80,000 in today, today's dollars. Um, so, anywhere from 20, no, that would be 40000 to 80000 per. Human capital. Yeah, right, right. And then, so the fucked up thing about it is that that's when it caught people's attention, because if he's stealing horses, they're like, yeah, okay, spend a year in jail. But once you, um, you know, once he caught the attention of um, these slave owners and they were not too happy from what they considered their property was stolen, and, you know, that's when it, they really, that's when he was wanted. And that's how he spread, and that's how he gained um, his fame. And he was known. Because they were considered more valuable than horses. horses. I know. Yeah. That's just completely, utterly despicable. But, um, so, he would, oh, he was known as the, the conductor of the reverse underground railroad. Nice. Yeah. That's, yeah, what a great, great guy this is. But some of the other things that he would do is because his father was a preacher, he knew the Bible really well. So him and his um, gang of thieves would go to these towns and he would, I guess it was a lot easier to walk up in a church, but he would start preaching a sermon. He would Uh pretend to be a preacher and preach a sermon. And he would, while he was preaching, his bandits were outside stealing their, the congregation's horses all of their value, you know, whatever they brought and had right outside the church. So it was just a whole ruse. It just, yeah, this is a great guy. Great, great guy. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's another thing, tactic, strategy that he would use on the Natchez Trace because it said that he would be, they would see him, like people would let their guard down, right, if they approached a preacher. And then he's, you know, got his Bible and he's preaching the word of God then a lot of people are going to be unsuspecting that he was some kind of bandit. And so he, they would let their guard down, and then that's when he would just, like, go in and steal their stuff. So. so he would do this all along the south from Texas to Georgia. And he, like I said, the plantation owners were very angry about this, and they enlisted the help of a man named Virgil Stewart to apprehend Mural. So, Stuart, he was from Georgia, but this was an interesting little tidbit that probably nobody cares about but us, but his dad moved them to Amy County, Mississippi. I don't know Are what, yeah, I don't know what, what or why they would get on. Okay, know. but you said Stuart, yes. right? Yes. Okay, who moved his family 
Um, so there was a Merle. No, so there was a man named Stewart. He this is um, who the plant angry plantation owners enlisted to help apprehend Mural because he was stealing their slaves and they, that's um, there was considered at that time their valuable property. So they were incensed by this. So. That's so Stewart moved his family to Amet County from Georgia, but he didn't stay very long. He was very he was young at the time, and then his his father died while they were there, and then um, their mother moved them back to Georgia. So I know what you were thinking there, but they were from Georgia. Okay, you know where I was going with that. I, we have family that uh, by the name of Stewart from Amet County, Mississippi. Right, which is why I threw that side note in there. But everybody else is. Doesn't care about that, I'm sure. So, um, what happened was, Stuart, he took his, he got on his horse, and he, he went to the Natchez Trace, and he met up with Mural. But, Stuart knew who John Mural was, but Mural didn't know who Stuart was. So, he um, he actually took on a different name. By his last name, he said, was Hughes. And that's that's who he introduced himself as, and then they struck up. A, they rode like all over to these towns, and and then um, they befriended one another. And then Mural just began talking, and he basically confesses to him, tells him about how he um, steals horses, he steals from the people in the Natchez Trace. He um, learns to trust Stuart uh, on their ride, and. So, Stuart, actually, he wrote a book years later about um, their conversations and their travels. But, actually, it was a African-American slave in Georgia who is um, credited with bringing Mural to the local authorities with his clever maneuvering. And he's credited with bringing Mural in. And they actually awarded... Um, well, his name was Tom Brannon, and they actually awarded him $100 for his bravery. So, Stewart just, he went soft and didn't take him in. Right. Some accounts say that, no, I think they worked together, but, um, like, this is part where um, it's Stewart's account in his own book that says he, you know, he was the one credited for, for um getting mural and bringing him in but there's other accounts that say it was tom brennan so and then there's actually a placard in georgia for that but um so and and that's that's what i'm saying that sometimes the legend and the lore and the actual facts that gets the lines are blurry because it was so long ago right so there was an incident called the mural excitement and during this time, there was increased tension between the races and between the locals and outsiders. And on July 4th, 1835, there were disturbances in the red light districts of Nashville, Memphis, and Natchez. And 20 slaves and 10 white men were hanged after confessing to complicity in Mural's plot. So on July 6th in Vicksburg, Mississippi, an angry mob decided to expel all professional gamblers from the town based on a rumor that the gamblers were part of the plot. So the gamblers resisted, and as a result, five gamblers were hanged by the mob. Similar panic surrounding Mural and his conspiracy spread throughout the South long after his death. 
from cities from Huntsville, Alabama to New Orleans, Louisiana, creating committees dedicated to identifying murals, conspirators, and potential signs of slave rebellion. So when mural was brought in and apprehended by the Tennessee law enforcement, mural was convicted for the crimes of slave stealing in the circuit court of Madison County, Tennessee, and incarcerated in the Tennessee State Penitentiary in Nashville. This was from 1834 to 1844. While he was in the Tennessee State Penitentiary, as part of his reform, he was required to work as a blacksmith. And so after spending a year in this penitentiary, just just the regimen and uniform silence and then the solitary confinement, it broke him down mentally. And he spent the last months of his life as a blacksmith in Pikeville, Tennessee. And then he contracted um, consumption. That's what they called it then, but it's actually um, called tuberculosis now. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, on his deathbed, he confessed. He confessed to being guilty of most of the crimes against him except for murder. He confessed to, to all the stealing, the looting, ambushing, all those things except for murder. In a deathbed confession, Mural admitted to being guilty of most of the crimes charged against him except for murder. So he died on November 21st, 1844. This was just nine months after leaving prison, and he had, like I said, he had tuberculosis. But um, when he died and was buried, parts of him were dug up and stolen by grave robbers. And his, they cut his head off, of, separated it from his torso, and so stole the head, basically. They end up recovering his head and skull, and they they basically charge people to see it, and it's actually in the Tennessee State Museum. <laughs> so if you right, like currently, yes, yes, actually. And if only he could have been decapitated, like post mortem. Actually, his skull is missing, but one of his thumbs is in the possession of the Tennessee State Museum. Okay. They have his thumbs. They actually have his thumb. But they did. Well, did you say his thumb was branded with? Yes, it doesn't say. Okay. If I didn't, couldn't find if that was the thumb with the HG on it. <laughs> but if anybody is interested, there is um, his thumb in the Tennessee State Museum. So that. Where is the Tennessee State Museum? Is it in Memphis or Nashville? That is a good question. That is, I'm just curious. I'll have to goggle it. Maybe that'll be a trivia question. Where Here we go. is this Tennessee State Museum? Please let us know. Do we have any Tennessee listeners? I hope so after this. But that is the tale of John A. Mural, the Great Western Land Pirate. Well, it's interesting to me because we're going to see some parallels with... Um, the American outlaw James Copeland, who is actually um, the dude that I decided to talk about tonight, too. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about James Copeland, the Southern Land Pirate. All right. I 
like this song. Me too. This is my new favorite song. I think you better slow down, though. You're going kind of fast. Uh-oh, it's too late. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. It's a motorcycle cop. That reminds me. I've been listening to this new podcast called Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. Motor Cop Chronicles? Motor Cop Chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots. And bike. Oh, my God. The Iceman, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from from people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and, and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section. It is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it. I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then. Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I'm going to need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. Right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need you to sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. The state you going to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He <gasps> signed it, the Iceman. We are so on the next podcast. He is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny. <laughs> Okay, we're back. And so I chose uh, American outlaw James Copeland um, to tie into this land pirate uh, theme that we have. Uh, He was actually um, active during the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And we're talking 1800s. Um, in southern Mississippi and southern Alabama around uh, Mobile, uh, which is coastal, uh, about as far south as you can go without actually being in the Gulf. Um, So he was born in 1823 in Jackson County, Mississippi, um, which is actually one of the largest counties in Mississippi. And most likely, some of our listeners have heard of, uh, well, obviously, our local listeners have heard of Pascagoula, but some of our um, uh, listeners from a further distance may not. But if you're a Jimmy Buffett fan, you likely have <laughs> thinking that Pascagoula reference. <laughs> Day the squirrel went berserk. <laughs> I, I was thinking that in my head. That's funny. And right. I was thinking, the. Um, I'm sorry, the Calvin... Cal, um, Calvin Harris UFO incident too. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. I forgot pa- about that. In Pascagoula, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a it's a small ish 
town, but it, you know, does, it does get, uh, national attention from time to time. Um, so, um, Copeland's story is largely obscure just by the sheer passage of time, but he's not very well known anymore. Um, there was though a time when people, um, on the Gulf Coast would shudder when they heard his name. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he was born to Isham Copeland and Rebecca Wills Copeland, and he didn't attend school until around age 10 or 11, which is kind of weird, maybe not for that time. Right. But his parents were willing to, like, you know, let him go to school for as long as he wanted to, but he started hanging around with some people who taught him how to lie, cheat, and steal. Hmm. And he's like, I'm good. I don't need school. I'm gonna, you know, I didn't choose the thug life. You chose me. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, his first impressive theft was a valuable pocket knife that he tricked the neighbor out of when he was around 12 years old. Um, but he'd actually begun stealing and tricking his classmates out of their pocket change and their knives before that. And at age 14, and at age 14, he and his brother said they were going hunting, but instead they uh, went and stole some hogs from a neighbor and they took them into Mobile to sell them. (laughs) So they were like, why don't we go back and get more? This sounds so, so familiar. Right? It sounds so familiar. I'm telling you, then that's just like the beginning. There's other things that are parallel for sure. So, and I mean, mind you, these two were active at the same time, just in different areas. You know, they heard of each other. Oh, well, like, definitely. Because, yeah, this is the same. Like, he was... They were both down in the New Orleans area, even, so, yeah. Yeah. They had to have even crossed paths at at one point or another. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe. They have. (laughs) Um, So, they're like, yeah, let's go back and get some more hogs. Well, they go back, and they get caught. And they get arrested by Jackson County Sheriff. Um, so his father hired an attorney to try to get him out of serving any jail time. But when his mother saw that that wasn't happening, um, she reached out to a known gang member, Gail Wages, Gail H. Wages, for help. Um, Wages initially wanted to just kill the witness to, to the theft, but then he settled on just getting rid of the evidence. And he hopefully. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, murder's a little extreme. I think we'll just get rid of evidence. <laughs> okay. So, right. So, he and Copeland commenced to burning down the Jackson County Courthouse, destroying um, not only the evidence, but everything else in it. Um, and uh, Copeland then joined. Uh, the Mobile Bandits that Wages and this other guy, Charles Preacher McGrath, um, Copeland. Copeland uh, then joined the Mobile Bandits. Um, Wages and Charles 
Preacher McGrath's gang. They actually took an oath. They used a mystic alphabet. They went out in disguises. Mm-hmm. Um, they carried skeleton keys, locks, lock picks, crowbars, and all kinds of tools. Um, they stole and sold slaves, mm-hmm. robbed houses, murdered, looted in um, all sorts of manner. Wreaked havoc. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't much that they wouldn't do uh, for <laughs> loot. <laughs> That's a fun word to say, loot. Did they um, did they murder to you? Did you say murder? Yes. Oh, okay. So, obviously, McGrath was a preacher, and he would hold revival outside of meetings while the gang stole horses. <laughs> um, exactly. I wonder See, where they got that from. <laughs> I mean... These are obviously not novel ideas, but they work if you're in a gang. Right. And so he was born in 23, which um, so John Mural, when at his, I guess his height or whatever was in the 30s. So I'm thinking he just kind of paved the way. And for sure, they heard stories about the Mystic Clan, right? I'm talking about the Copeland gang. Right. So they, you know, I mean, I think you can reasonably, ima- reasonably imagine that, you know, this was also common practice among other gangs too. But these right. two, I'm, I just don't see how they wouldn't have heard of each other or crossed paths or at the least heard of each other, right? And the stories exactly. and the yes, yes. So, um. Copeland also knew as much about dark water hideouts in Mobile Bay as he did on the land. Uh, He and his gang once set parts of Mobile on fire and would loot areas that were not burned while people were scrambling to put out the fires and save what they could. And uh, they would load their boats with all of their... um, plunder and then they would go hide out in the bay Wow! so they did this like the one time that they did this they like said i can't remember which came first but they set the east side of mobile mobile on fire plundered the west side and then once that cooled off they went back and set fire to the west and did the same to the east <laughs> um and the bay was was where they hid out um <laughs> With all of their spoils. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It's they're so creative with their thievery and their antics. Like, can you imagine if they were doing something productive? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like they put to, so much time, effort, and energy into being criminal. That's a, that's a lot of work. All the fires and the... You know, I, I, oh, I can't imagine. And the stress of, like, hiding out, I would imagine, would be, like, you know. Yeah. A lot to deal with, but, yeah. I don't know, maybe the life of a land pirate is exciting and exhilarating yes. to you. I was going to say that. It would have to be something that I don't possess, because, and I don't understand it, but it would have to be just the thrill of the hunt, as they say, and the catch and the kill or whatever just wow it had to be and you know i think too 
they probably got a lot richer than they would working, you know, other menial or unskilled jobs. But I mean, I don't know how many skilled jobs there were, but sure. Yes. And so in 1848, Wages and McGrath, the gang leaders, they went to collect on a $40 disputed debt. Um, This was actually in Perry County, Mississippi, which is actually Forest County, Mississippi now, Hattiesburg. Um, Shout out if there's any (laughs) Hattiesburg listeners or if anyone's familiar with, it's where the University of Southern Mississippi is. Go Eagles. S-M-T-T-T. Okay. So, um, James Harvey purchased property from one of the um, Mobile Bandits. And the ownership could not be established through a clear title. And so, he refused to pay the debt that he owed. So, he shot and killed Wages and McGrath. He's like, I'm not paying you. You're dead. Wait, hold on. How about the guy's name is Wages, but he steals for a living? He doesn't earn any wages. <laughs> I know you're not actually earning any wages. Okay. Just... So, so, and Wages is the dude that um, um, Copeland's mom called when right. the attorney couldn't get him out of jail. Right. So, I'm going to call Wages. Not that he that's earns that, them. right? Call Wages and McGrath. Um, Well, anyway, they're dead now. um, Copeland and his gang then rode to uh, Harvey's place to avenge their deaths. And a gun battle ensued and Harvey and one of Copeland's men were killed. Hmm. Uh, Copeland escaped that situation but he was captured and charged later for crimes in Alabama, and he wound up having to serve four years in prison. So once he finished his four-year stint, he was extradited back to Mississippi to stand trial for the murder of Harvey. Mm. And ultimately, he was convicted and he was sentenced to hang. Okay. So, there's a book called Life and Confessions of James Copeland, the Great Southern Lands Pirate, and it was written by uh, J.R.S. Pitts, who was, actually became a doctor, but he was the former sheriff of Perry County, Mississippi. And Dr. Pitts, I'm not sure if he was, a, I don't think he was, a, I know he wasn't a doctor at the time he wrote the uh, first iteration, but he wrote two iterations of the book, and subsequently his son uh, wrote a third iteration of the book, which details a supposed full confession by Copeland to Sheriff Pitts while he's awaiting his execution. So the first iteration was said to have been this sensational read, but copies quickly disappeared. Oh. And it's largely speculated that because gang members were outed in the book, that they were the ones responsible for making the books go away. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they did. Fake news. (laughs) This is fake news. Right. But we have to remove it. 
because it's fake. Right. Book so, <laughs> well, he so Pitts actually uh, got backlash from outing the gang members. I mean, obviously, like, really? You think you're just going to out a bunch of bandits and they're going to just let you? They'll be okay with that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, he he was actually formally charged and convicted of libel. And he also spent a short time in an Alabama jail. Whoa. For writing the book? Well, so it was more so because of, you know, I guess. Names were mentioned. Right. So, he he doxed them. Right. Right. So, uh, and after he got out of jail in the second iteration, names were redacted for protection. <laughs> okay. But, just gonna like mark the them first, off. right. Just going <laughs> to scratch, scratch you out. After people have already read it, I'm going <laughs> to scratch it out right here. <laughs> but... Like the first book, the second one disappears to you. <laughs> of course it does. Of course. They have dis- disappearing books. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sun. Well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, well, actually, I, I can go ahead and just mention this now. So the sun uh writes the third iteration and um I like I it. They're actually, persistent. I like it. I never give up. <laughs> They're nothing if not persistent. Right. So he actually uh public gets this book published and I actually found an ebook online. Oh yeah. And I read like excerpts stuff from it like I didn't read the whole book it's like 230 something pages and it's I love written in the first person from (laughs) Copeland's point of view and I did not find the excerpt sensational but you know they're not I I love those old books that are on there but they're not easy to read or entertaining I found it hard to read Uh, I'm not saying that I won't go back and read it in full but I didn't yet you have fun with that. Um, right. So in this, in the books, it's the same book. It's just different you know, versions. <laughs> um, in the book, Copeland tells of a buried treasure in Catahoula Creek. Ooh. Catahoula Creek is, it's a thin meandering. Um, actually, the main tributary to the Jordan River with an O near the Gulf Coast in Hancock County, Mississippi, just east of St. Tammany Parish. Right, because I thought that the research for Honey Island Swamp Monster, I thought that's where I saw that he had allegedly buried treasure in the Honey Island Swamp. Right. Which I'm not entirely sure if the treasure or the supposed buried treasure is part of the Honey Island Swamp because I looked at a map and I couldn't really tell if it actually um, was part of that because it seems like it's further north. Do we know how far north Honey Island goes? Mm -hmm. No. 
But I know. they weren't very accurate then, too. It's, they oh, weren't. Right. So it, it's, it, it's possible, it way, it's, but it's in the vicinity. That's what I was just about to say. It's very close for those of you who listen to our uh, cryptid episode um, around the Honey Island swamp, swamp Monster. It's very close to the area. Right. Um, so in this area, the water is very dark. Um, and it's also surrounded by dense um, forests. So I even I read some... Uh, accounts of this area where people have actually gone in and not necessarily to, to to seek out the treasure and get rich, but just to see if there was anything to it. Right. Um, and, and one writer said that this area, in this area, the world actually appears darker than it is just because of the, the dark water and the dense Whoa. forest and in the daytime it's just a darker uh, place Whoa. Okay. which is kind of creepy. creepy for sure so story goes copeland and wages um at wages built a house near catahoula creek and um story goes they buried three wooden barrels each with around ten thousand dollars um in them for safekeeping and they drew a map with landmarks like large pine tree in the margin of the swamp to the northeast and about 35 yards from where the kegs were buried a magnolia tree that grew about 10 yards to the southeast that's right. like how the map supposedly read right um so Supposedly, Copeland lost the map in the Harvey gunfight, and um, years later, it was there was a guy in Mobile. I think his name last name was I think his name was George Cleveland. He was suspected of having found the map because he like quickly for no reason just like started like having a bunch of assets like. Mm. Uh, yeah. And and flashy, like new money, I guess. <laughs> right. Okay. But it was never proven that he actually uh found the treasure. It was just kinda like, you know, that was that was the work around the campfire. So Yeah, right. Okay. And so What's he doing with the new horse over there? <laughs> Brand new horse. Do you, you see those Boots on <laughs> new boots, new Can't horse, hit the, new the, saddle. Hit the five dime. Right. <laughs> new vest, new duster, new hat. Yeah, what's up with Cleveland? Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean it's possible, but I mean for over more than hundred and fifty years people have, you know heard and told the tales of the pirate's treasure which um prompted many to to search up and down the catahoula digging holes for this <laughs> cache of gold so like like the one writer i was referencing before like he actually took a kayak and went down tried to go down the river <laughs> and said that there were i think he I, if i'm not mistaken he did see one area where there was like a four by four indentation in the um 
side of the creek and he's like you know i can't say that this was done by a treasure hunter but you know what is somebody doing like digging in the side of the creek yeah you know like what else could it be wow that's i get the excitement of that but at the same time that is that is like harder than trying to find a needle in a haystack Trying to find buried treasure, and it could be from Mobile to Hattiesburg or New Orleans to Mobile, anywhere from New Orleans to Mobile. Wow, that's like <laughs> that's exactly right. And supposedly, the uh, it's rough going. Like in some areas, it's um, you know it's probably a, a dozen feet deep, and then in some areas, it's like ankle deep. Right. So it's not an easy trek up right. and down that creek. Oh, no, for sure. That's crazy. Uh, uh, of course, local publications, publication, I can't speak. <laughs> Words are hard. Um, local publications and um, oh, well, newspapers and then family stories passed down generationally. Like, you know, people have been told about this in different ways and as I said you know some have even gone on the hunt for the treasure so question is I guess you know did he really confess to Sheriff Pitts he was awaiting his execution and the book wasn't published until after well long after his death so was the sheriff telling a story to sell books for a financial gain um obviously we don't and may never know but copeland was hanged in 1857 near old augusta a town in mississippi that's no longer there um but a town in Mississippi that's no longer there, but was located near what's called New Augusta today. I think it's like <laughs> a couple of miles from where Old Augusta was. Why is Old Augusta not there, but now it's New Augusta? I don't know. They're like the now vanished town of Old Augusta, which is located two miles south of New Augusta. <laughs> that's, so, that's so Mississippi. Okay. They abandoned old Augusta to go two miles north. Right. It's now this is new Augusta. They probably got kicked out and they got mad. They got mad and they're like, you know what? Forget you, old Augusta. This is the new Augusta. (laughs) We're done with you. Right. You're old Augusta. I mean, not even going to name it it's something new. Well, I mean, not new, but a different name. Something different. <laughs> I don't Mississippi. I don't understand. So, but word spread across the region of his impending death, and crowds came from all over to watch him hang. And wait for it. His body disappeared three days later. Well, right, and then I read an account that people went in to view his skeleton. His skeleton was on display, and then people could view his skeleton. That's very similar to the the head of John Merrill that disappeared. Okay, so his body disappeared three days after he was hanged, and then a skeleton surfaced. Oh, okay. 
and was hung on display in a drugstore. Oh, okay. For, oh, let's see. He was hanged in 1857. Skeleton surfaces. Then they hung it on display in a drugstore. But guess what? Skeleton vanished in the early 1900s. I thought you were going to say his body disappeared. And then I was going to make a joke and say, maybe they took the head of John Earl and put the body... Oh, that would James be fantastic. Come. Yeah, one that big would be super fantastic. bandit. Yeah. Okay. This is the bionic bandit skeleton. Of the 18... Well, it wouldn't be bionic. That doesn't make any sense. But it would just be a, you know, yeah. fusion of the two. <laughs> right. But who's, I don't know. Who's, who is collecting? Who's collecting bandit bodies? Well, here's the thing. Like, what... What is the motivation or incentive or pride in robbing the grave of a land pirate? Because obviously that was a thing. Yeah, that was definitely a thing. Definitely. That's the thing. Or it was. <laughs> right. But they did have those circus sideshows that people would pay and go see. So it was a little different than about that. You know, people today would, I mean, well, first of all, it's illegal. But people today would would just be disgusted by that for sure. But that was just yeah. something that people were like wanted to pay money to go see. Come on, kids! I gotta go pick up something at the drugstore. Don't mind the skeleton hanging right behind the counter. No, not at all. That's, so That's weird. not creepy at all. No, not at all. So that 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 pretty much does it for the Great Southern Land Pirate. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. And if you like what you hear, um, we certainly ask that you would leave us a five-star rating or wherever you review and rate your podcast. And we'll keep this thing going. And we will certainly see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. So we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com. On Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast. And on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort. Signing off.